welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas with a very special guest, host of the Slayer Fest 98 podcast, Ian Carlos. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your podcast. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for having me. Um, so my podcast is mostly about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, sometimes we do other things this summer. We took a little break and discussed X-Men between Buffy season six and seven. Yeah, and I that's like what I'm working on all the time, always. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Currently scrambling to like get ready for season seven, fell a little behind. Um, and I've been freelance writing for um, New Now Next more recently. Cool. cool. Um, I have to make a confession, which is that I am like, just a very casual Buffy watcher. <laughs> I've like slowly like waded in. I love all your guys' Marvel coverage that you guys have done, but Tasia's been trying to get me to watch Buffy for a very long time. <laughs> I am. It's, so it's a work in progress. I'll, I'm going to make it happen. I'll get there eventually. I But it's been on my list. I think there's just something about like a show in this day and age where we get like 10 episode seasons of something, something that's however many seasons long. It's yeah. like 20 plus episodes. It feels very daunting to me, but I, everyone loves it. I know I've loved what I've seen. So. I do under, I do understand that there are certain shows like, of course, now I can't think of a single one, but there are definitely shows <laughs> where I'm like, I would probably like this if I binge watched it. Yeah. But like, oh, there's so many episodes. Yeah. How could I? So yeah, eventually, well, I'm glad to know I have a podcast. I can go <laughs> reference what I find <laughs> to get there. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm like so impressed with the caliber of guests that you've had on that podcast. I was like <laughs> scrolling through it the other day, too, because like. I remember that you've had a bunch of these people on, but then just looking through and seeing it written out like evidence, I'm just like, oh my God, you've had like just so many great guests on your podcast. Thank you so much. That's like, I feel like I spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, yeah. Good. It, well, the hard work is is paying off. And again, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, before we dive into this incredible book, we always like to start off with things that we're really into outside of the book we're discussing. So Tasha, do you want to kick us off? What are you really into right now? Oh, you know, just like all things spooky season. I've been doing my thing, which I do every year um, and going through kind of all of my favorite Halloween episodes of every TV show. Mm-hmm. So it's been, you know, Halloween and fear itself for Buffy and, you know, epidemiology for community and just, you know, all of the good uh, Treehouse of Horror Simpsons episodes. Um, So it's been a lot of that. I also finally finished um, Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. I talked about it a little bit last week, but I finished it and it's really good. If you guys, you definitely should read it. I think we should probably cover it at some point on this podcast, but add it to my homework. Cool. Yeah. She wrote, um, is that the same author that wrote Mexican Gothic? Yeah. And I have that as well, but I haven't started it yet. But I love that book. I read that like in the summer, I think. Yeah. Everyone says it's really good. And I should try to read it now as spooky season. I think it's not winding down. We have time until like Thanksgiving. I'll give myself time to read (laughs) spooky reads. I also have that one. um, So I should read that sometime. How about you, Ian? What are are you into these days? Um, So I literally just finished uh, What We Do in the Shadows. And I can't recommend it enough. Have you watched Atasia? I've watched like the first three or four episodes, but then it gets kind of lost in the shuffle of everything I'm trying to keep up on. All but I definitely, yeah, I definitely intend to get back to it because it's great. I feel like it's so freaking funny. And yeah. I feel like there's definitely like, 
um, I feel like it's very much for like Buffy fans like would like it because like it's I mean there's not like you know the serious plot aspect but it's so fucking funny and the vampires are done really well even though it's like a straight up comedy they still like have all the like vampire mythology there and like keep it and I don't know I so I just finished it and then I noticed as background I love a background show from mm-hmm. like if I'm writing or if right. I'm like doing stuff for the podcast, something where it's like I don't have to pay attention too much. I've already almost finished season one again, even though I just oh, finished good. it. Last week. <laughs> that's a really big endorsement. If you want, yeah. like, If you finish something, you want to like start it immediately. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, that's on my my list too. I think my husband watched it and he really liked it. I mean, it got a lot of fanfare this year. I think it got nominated for Emmys, and it hadn't so, really yeah. been on my radar before, but. Again, add it to the never-ending queue <laughs> yeah. things I have to talk about. Um, <laughs> I guess what I am into this week is much like I feel like my entire Twitter feed um, into Ted Lasso, which is show that's on Apple TV Plus starring Jason Sudeikis. I had oh, yeah. really no concept of what it was about, but it is about this like overly earnest and just very enthusiastic American college football coach who inexplicably gets hired to coach a British Premier League soccer team. And he is just like a very like kind of Southern accent American goes to this very like multicultural team in, in Richmond in the UK. And he, it, it ends up just being very funny and very heartwarming. Um, it does have a Buffy tie-in because Anthony Head is a recurring character on it. He plays the former owner of this team who's this like very wealthy man who uh, gets divorced. He'd been cheating on his his smoke show of a wife and uh, she gets the team in the divorce. So she now owns the team and is trying to sabotage it because it was like the one thing he loved. <laughs> That's why she hires Ted Lasso, who has no experience in soccer. I don't necessarily love the idea of like a scornful, bitter woman, like, trying to take down like people's livelihoods beyond her own, like for this one, like vengeful goal. But I think, you know, kind of, it walks a good line and it's has enough heart to it otherwise to make it really, really something special. So I've been enjoying it. Um, it, it got me to sign up for an Apple TV plus account for the first time I'd resisted since it dropped. <laughs> so it's like 10 half hour long episodes. So it's been it's been a fun one. I feel like it's going to continue to get like a lot of fervor as people look for like comforting things right now uh, as we continue to navigate towards the beginning of November and big things happening. So uh, it's been a good one. <laughs> that has been what is new with us this week. Should we talk about this book? Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to uh, start off with a summary here in case you haven't read and just want to listen along to the podcast. We do go, you know, no holds bar. Um, we will talk about everything and anything and how this book ends. So this is your last warning. Uh, if if you still want to read this book, log off now and save us one for later. But otherwise, here we go with a summary of Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Yadriel is part of the Bruhex community. Bruhos can summon spirits and shepherd the dead to the afterlife, and Bruhas can heal people. However, because Yadriel is transgender, his family does not believe that he can be a brujo, denying him the right to participate in the quince's ritual on his 15th birthday, which is necessary to activate his powers. Over a year later, Yadriel is determined to perform the ritual himself and summon a spirit just in time for Dia de Muertos, when the spirits of the dead return and the Brujex community holds their aquilare, a celebration that includes welcoming newly minted brujos and brujas to the community. With the help of his cousin Maritza, Yadriel successfully completes the ritual and attempts to summon the spirit of his recently murdered cousin Miguel. Instead, Yadriel summons Julian Diaz, a boy from his school with a bad reputation. 
Julian is concerned about what happened to his friends who he was with when he died, and Yadriel agrees to help him find his friends before releasing his spirit to the afterlife. In helping Julian, Yadriel finds out that other vulnerable youth have also gone missing in the community and learns that there is a whole other side to Julian he didn't see before. As Dia de Muertos approaches, Julian convinces Yadriel to release his spirit as he appears to be going maligno when a spirit becomes a twisted, violent version of itself as it stays stuck between earth and the afterlife. Yadriel is resistant to this as he is falling for Julian, but ultimately agrees. As he tries to release Julian's spirit, it doesn't work. When he explores further, Yadriel learns that his Tio Catrice, who he had always bonded with as an outsider as Catrice did not have magic and thus was not a brujo, had attempted to kill Julian, Miguel, and two others as part of a ritualistic sacrifice that would give him great power. Yadriel tries to stop the ritual, which kills Catrice in the process. Yadriel then sacrifices his life in order to release the spirits of the four people Catrice killed, but Maritza performs a healing ritual to save Yadriel. Julian is now fully alive again, and he and Yadriel reunite just in time to celebrate the Aquilare with the Bruhex community. And that is Cemetery Boys. It is a very appropriate spooky season read. We're actually very proud of ourselves for timing this release <laughs> right in time for for when Dia de Mertes is is celebrated. I first learned about this book over the summer. I think I saw it on Goodreads or Twitter or something and immediately was like, oh, paranormal queer romance, like sign me up. I'm very interested in this. Um, and it's a, a great book too, because it is an own voices story, Aiden Thomas. And the author is Latinx and trans and this book, it, we've talked about that before on that show or on the show, but it's something that we like to draw attention to and focus on because that's really the best way to discuss some of these subject matters is to come from within that community itself. Um, so, and, and on that note, I think we should caveat. I know I can't, to only speak for myself. You know, I am a, a white woman. I have limitations when it comes to what I can talk about on in this book. So, I've tried to do some research here, and we'll talk about it as we go through. But Again, I want to highlight the importance of like looking to own voices reviewers and talking about these things. And um, we can only talk about what we know within our limitations of 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 who we are and discussing this book. But I think it, it covers a lot very deftly. At least it seems like that to me. I don't know if you guys felt that way too. Um, in going through this, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm curious what you two would think. Um, there were beats when I was like. I, I really liked the culture and the way I liked that Aiden. So I'm not, um, they are, oh geez. Now I forget. Now I'm the one that forgets <laughs> in the book. They are, what's their back. Is it Cuban? No, it's so I think it's, yeah, I think Julian is Colombian. Colombian. Um, I think, uh, Yadriel is, is part and, Cuban. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. one of his parents is Cuban as well. So it definitely is like an, it seems to me to be an amalgamation of like, Okay. So, so I'm Puerto Rican, so I don't, okay. that's not like, there's not a lot of like that in Puerto Rican culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was curious what like people, like, did you find um, some of the Spanish when they would go into it? Uh, did you find that like, oh crap, I don't know. Like, I know that, I know that neither of you would be like, oh, I don't like this. But like, did you find yeah. it like, oh, I don't really know what that is. Um, not really it, like, because, yeah, because um, I think there are really good context clues in yeah. Like when it's used, which I think, I think Corinne put this in her notes, so I'm stealing it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think just, it, there are really good context clues. I think the way that Spanish is used in this book is is really thoughtful and intentional in the way that it's not um, like exclusionary to anybody that doesn't speak Spanish or maybe can't pull out like a dictionary okay. or Google right there, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, 
it's it's pretty easy to figure out even if you don't look it up what at least the intention of the words are. No problem. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I've read books where a character might speak in Spanish and then you have like the person that they're talking to immediately parrots it back to them in English. They'll be yeah. like, oh, puedo ir a la tienda. And like, yeah, I know you need to go to the store. It's like, okay, well, let's like, we can figure it out. It's awkward, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I like that because I do think that like the onus shouldn't be on like the the author, or the narrator to like provide that context. I mean, just even if I'm reading a book in English, I have no problem like if I don't understand a reference or I don't know a word. I have no problem looking it up. And so I, I liked that. I felt like it was very natural and very intentionally used. And, you know, I took Spanish and uh, if you couldn't tell from my little <laughs> I did take Spanish in high school. So I have like a rudimentary knowledge of it, but um, I, I, I thought that there, yeah, there were enough like context clues. And I like in this day and age, you know, everyone has a smartphone like right yeah. there for the most part. I looked up things as we were going through <laughs> if I like wanted to be sure that I knew exactly kind of what was being said. But I thought that that was was really well, well done and was a good way to kind of immerse you within the world. And it, it and I, I liked how that was done. And we can talk more, too, about like how the Spanish comes up in this book, because I think it also has a very big narrative. I was just going to say that I think uh, there's a really good narrative reason for um, Julian not speaking a lot of Spanish in the book. Like when he does speak it, it's very intentional mm-hmm. and it's it's for like a narrative, a really good yeah. narrative purpose because he's he sees it as something that's like very intimate and something that he holds with his father and his family mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah, and I really liked too. And I've, I've again I've done some like research on this online and in terms of like reading a lot about what this book does really well. And obviously, like the identity. It, it, this is not a book where like Yadriel is really struggling with who he is. He knows who he is, uh, but he, he is struggling to fit in with his community, which is very um, gendered in a lot of ways, which he knew is an issue with the Spanish language. I mean, that's where the term like, yeah, Latinx yeah. comes from because the Spanish language is very, is very gendered. And um, I, I like that we get that in this book too, because it, it highlights some of those issues without like, hitting you over the head with, with them. I mean, it, 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 in, from, in reading and watching some like book reviews on YouTube of people who have more experience with this than I do, like, you know, it's, it's hard in, in a lot of communities to, if, if, if you are queer, if you're trans to, to relate to your community. But, um, you know, I was reading, um, a review from a Latinx, uh, trans reviewer who said, you know, that it's, it's a very traditional community and it's hard and it's very um, there's a lot of machismo sometimes that comes in that's hard to break into. And so I think that we got a lot of that and I picked up on a lot of that, even though I don't personally like have that experience. So I really, I liked that and how that was, was done and shown here. I always wonder with stuff like that. Um, just cause like, you know, it's hard to like, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I know all of this, but I don't know if other readers might find it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was always, I always wonder with stuff like that. Cause I too also like I'm half Puerto Rican. So all mm-hmm. of the characters I write in fiction are always also half Puerto Rican. Yeah. And like the people around them will speak Spanish, but like mm-hmm. their Spanish is like medium at best, uh, which is like <laughs> me. Um, yeah. So I always wonder about that with people, like if they, fi- how they find that. Um, 
Because I, I've seen a lot of comparisons, which I don't love when people are like, oh, it's like in Lord of the Rings when they speak in. And I'm like, no, because I do find that off-putting when they do. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not quite the same. That is made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah. And, well, and I, I, you can tell that Aiden put a lot of care and thought and research into yeah. it. And the, the book talks about this too. It kind of gives a lot of background about this particular Bruhex community and how it, it includes people from many different like Latin American countries. Yeah, I was going to say like at the end when um, Dia de Muertos is going on and they're talking about like, you know, there's the the Haitian Bruhex and in, in the uh, Colombia, you know, all these yeah, other yeah. Uh, multicultural, you know, and they all have their own traditions and stuff aligned with that. And I think that was really interesting. Yeah. And especially because in TJ point again, I'm now I'm going to steal one of your notes. You talked about how like, fair, fair. how Dia de Muertos has just been like totally uh, co-opted by like just Halloween, but it's not the same. Right. And even like thinking back to like Spanish classes in high school, it's just like, okay, like we're going to paint masks. You no, know? and like that's like what we're going to do. And it's so much more than that. And that's what I loved about this book because it did prompt me to like read way more about like the history and the differences in, in the celebration. Yeah, I think it's funny that there's like, you know, obviously, and for good reason, there's been a lot of pushback against uh, culture, culturally appropriative, like costumes and stuff for Halloween. But, you know, you go to Target and they've got a whole Dia de Muertos section of just like these cheaply made decorations and stuff that's really just to fit an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And there's no like cultural tie in there. And I think, you know, that's a conversation that needs to be had a little bit louder. Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah, you really learn through this, even though obviously this is a fictional take on this. And uh, like we said, a combination of multiple different things, like you get the sense that there's so much history and in culture that goes into these traditions. And then just even thinking about how it like, they talk about this too, like how it feeds into more traditional Catholicism. Um, like the brujas use uh, their portajes, their, their connection to Lady Death is a rosary, um, which it was their symbol first. And then the Catholic Church co-opted that as well. So I, I, I like how it, it lays that groundwork and kind of, again, subtly kind of puts in messages like basically how Dia de is being like co-opted now. It, it's just constantly been happening, right? All throughout throughout history. So I, I, I liked a lot of that. I felt like I, I learned a lot and it was like super interesting to me. And set a good groundwork for like me wanting to research and do more. And then I think on the same token, I, one of the things that I thought was really well done in the book was how it brings up some other issues that are not just necessarily an issue for the Latinx community, but um, are something that we, those, those communities come to mind. Like there's discussion about immigration in here um, like they, Miguel uh, Yajal's cousin who was murdered, they like, go to the police, but then the police start talking about like, well, yeah. was he a citizen? Like as a casual observer, that might be like, oh, you're just like dropping in this really big subject. But also like, this is people, what people have to deal with, right? Like it comes up in kind of subtle ways in, in, in everyday life. And so I like how some of those other issues are kind of like peppered in the book because it draws attention to the fact like this is what people do you have to deal with and it really like makes you recognize your own, your own privilege and you don't, I, like I don't have to to deal with those things so I don't know what you guys think about about how that was done here yeah no I I so I don't know if either of you watched um one day at a time yes yes so I really I think that show does a good job of doing this 
that they do in this book where it's like, okay, those are still issues we're dealing with. So we still have to mm-hmm. like, we're not going to pretend that those things don't exist. That's not the main plot, but it's going to come up casually like yes. it did in this book. And I think for me, I think that's like a really smart way of doing that because mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be like a plot point. It just is because that's, you know, the, that's like, I mean, clearly, you know, there's magic and stuff in this book, but like it's still set in the real world and that's the society we live in. Um, yeah. And I know even I had, um, I don't know if y'all have like relatives, you know, that can happen for any culture, like where the mm-hmm. relatives still live here, but don't really speak English. Um, and I have a lot of relatives like that who like, my grandma was like mostly Spanish. Uh, mm-hmm. She would speak like Spanglish, but her accent was thick. Like for me, I didn't hear it just because I grew up with it, but like a lot mm-hmm. of people would have trouble understanding her and people yeah. do get, you know, kind of shitty about that. Right. Like no matter. And I feel like they can get shitty about that no matter what, even if you're white and, but you have an accent from wherever mm-hmm. people will get stupid about that um so i I like that they like just dropped that in there because also it did i mean of course the plot made sense that miguel's parents would want to go to the police like that right and i felt like we needed to address that there so i I really did like that they like had that scene and they're like no they're not going to go back because now they're afraid that they'll like deport them or whatever yeah and that i think is a really good first of all one day at a time is is a great show i love it it's another show where they Again, when we're talking about the Spanish usage, like they weave it in and it's like you have to deal with it. Like even though if you put the captions on, it doesn't translate it for you. And I like it because it's like real. But I liked that here. And that's one of the things we've talked about in terms of fantasy on this on this podcast before. We both are, Tejan and I are really big fantasy fans. And it f- gives a framework to discuss serious issues in a real way. And so like that conversation about immigration and going to the police, they all... Also, at the same time, they can be like, well, yeah, we know he was murdered because we're part of this community that, like, we feel when our our loved ones die. And, like, we can tell he was murdered because it was, like, violent and we felt it in a very serious way. And so that's, I want to think, continuing powers of fantasy is to to weave those more important narratives in in a in a more entertaining way to make it more palatable for other people to to talk about them. So I liked how that was. And like, not to burn up Buffy for the millionth time, but Tasia, please did you do. Feel- oh, no, please do. <laughs> <laughs> but Tasia, did you feel like, I felt like this world was very much like, was like this book could exist in the same world as like Buffy, right? It's so funny because before you said that, I was literally sitting here thinking like, oh, it's like Buffy in the way that it takes like these real world problems and makes it kind of a metaphorical, magical issue. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I kept thinking that when reading it, like anytime it'd be like, Oh, like the kids are on the run from something, but they're running through the cemetery and they see some ghosts. No big deal. They wave high. Yeah. Like that felt very <laughs> Buffy to me where it's yeah. like, Ooh, we're worried about this thing that's happening, but also we're still going to address the world that they live in, which is like, right. Oh, ghosts are just hanging out. <laughs> that does make sense. Cause I feel like in Buffy, like what I've seen, there's always, they're in graveyards and they're like always trying to like fight off a vampire or something in a graveyard. And there is that one scene where the one uh, uh, spirit goes maligno and he and Julian like saves Yadriel. And it was, it was like scary and kind of violent, but it sounds very similar to, to what I've seen of Buffy. Well, yeah. It's like if like Buffy and Giles or Buffy and Willow were like studying in the graveyard, but also yeah. takes a break from studying to go like kill a vampire. So. <laughs> yeah. Very Buffy casual. and Willow walking through the cemetery talking about boys casually and then yeah. <laughs> occasionally stabbing a vampire. Yeah. Which and you do. And that is yeah. like funny because when I was flipping through this book again this morning, I was like, this happens. This whole book happens in two, three days, which is again, like on an episodic show, like Buffy too, yeah. all these big things happen in, in one day and, and so much does happen here. And I think that's another thing I really like too, in terms of the, 
Diatrio being trans, this is not a book, like we said, being that he's struggling with his identity. He knows who he is. And obviously the fact that he is trans is a big part of this and how it means he fits within his community, but it also is not the total main focus of the book, which you would think that it is, but there are a lot of other things going on. There's this big underlying mystery of what is happening, what happened to his cousin and what's happening to these other people in his life. And there's a love story. And there's a love story. Uh, And so I, I like that too, because it's, it's normalizing uh, in a lot of ways for people who are not familiar, do not identify in the same way. It, 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 he's just a kid in, in many ways and he, everyone deals with struggles of how they want to fit in somewhere. Um, and we definitely like, get that here and it doesn't have to be if you're specifically, you know, a, a trans boy trying to fit into this right. very structured, traditional, more religious community that happens to everyone in, in, in some way, shape or form. I felt like it was really relatable. Um, but on the flip side too, I love how, uh, how it is depicted here. And I love the idea that not only does Yadriel know exactly who he is, but Lady Death knows exactly who he is. There is no doubt as soon as he performs the Kinsey's ritual, he's a brutal. Like he's immediately able to summon Julian. And there's just, there's just no doubt. And I think that's so valuable to show a representation of like any religious deity or, or God type figure of just knowing exactly who you are and it just shows like that the structure of whatever system you grew up in is not the important thing it's yeah. it's who you are and that's how i like to think of 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 god to the extent that i believe in one that they like accept you and i, no I will what. say i like that we got all of that at the top of the book mm-hmm. like, yes he, like he had already come out to his parents and his parent like he had the story of his mom being super accepting and his dad kind of never really being um and i like that while the dad had the arc of getting there it wasn't yadrael he like there was no point where he was like doubting who he was right and lady death he did that ritual what at the end of chapter one or two and it was successful right um i really liked that because i i did when i read the back and when i started it, i was like is it we're gonna have to wait till the end for him to be accepted because like i don't like right <sighs> I could see a story where, okay, sure, that is like the very end is Lady Death is like, yes, here is your ceremony. Like it worked. Yeah. And I like that we just got that right away because totally. there was never like a, because I, not that we, the readers would doubt that Yadriel is a male, but like worrying about the religion, if like the religion is going to accept him mm-hmm. and all that. And I like that it was just like, nope, Lady Death accepted it too. We're good yeah, on that I, front. We can keep going. <laughs> yeah. And like, we didn't have to read you know, 300 pages of Yadriel just kind of like suffering, not knowing yeah. for sure, you know, and, and not getting that self-validation that he needed. Right. Yes. So I love that it happened at the very beginning. So there's no question throughout the whole book, you know, even with himself, like he yeah. knows, yeah. he knows who he is and he knows, you know, what he is capable of right. in and his then, community. Yeah. And then his journey in this book is not so much figuring out who he is, but whether or not he needs this external validation yeah. Yeah. from his his community. And that's what I love about Julian is because he pretty much, I definitely remembered that there was one scene like towards the back third of the book where Julian's like, who are you trying to prove this to like yourself or them? Like you obviously are um, a brujo. You summoned me, but he even says it like right away at the beginning, Julian is very, is very with it. He, he just is, he has no like 
filter on what he says, but he just immediately knows exactly who Yadriel is and is like, yeah, you are a brujo. I'm, I, you summoned me. Here I am. Um, and I like that because that's a, even a more, it's like a secondary um, journey through like self-identity and exploration that someone has to go through of a, okay, here I am, but then does it matter to me? Yeah. what the community around me thinks and how I fit within it. And I, that's, I think is almost like more powerful because at the end he saves the day because he, not to prove anything else to, to his community, but he does it because he loves Julian and he's just that good of a person. Um, and I, I, that's um, in a lot of ways, almost mo- not more rewarding. Obviously it's, Im- it's important to see stories too that are more about exploration of identity but um that is just almost like it's a more like a next level of of identity exploration and and self-acceptance and i really liked it it and i love that at the end like he gets that validation that he wanted from his family and he gets an acceptance and um but i like that before that happens he realizes he doesn't really need it yeah um i thought that was really important because yeah i mean of course you want it and that was something he struggled with throughout the entire book. But I'm really glad that he got there before even his family did, you know, yeah, that by same. the time they gave it to him, he didn't really need it, but it was nice that he got it. Yes. Right. Exactly. And then I I like to, and I read an interview that Aiden Thomas did with NPR in which they said that they really wanted this book to take some of the onus off of trans youth or just generally any who's struggling because of trying to establish who you are and trying to work with like your family or community around you to prove who you are and kind of guide so much emotional labor. Yeah, totally. And so like this book, I think does a really good job of explaining how it it is a learning curve surely for anyone who, who, you know, has a kid who come comes out to them as trans and you have to like learn those things, but having a book like this, even just to be an ally generally is, is really helpful because it shows how things that you don't even mean to, to sound bad have a really bad effect. Like I think his dad says at one point to Yadra, the stay behind with the rest of the women. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just little things like that. And I like that they show that here too. But then on the flip side too, we also get from Yandriel like acknowledgement to an understanding of how his community is supportive of him in some ways too, especially when he compares stuff to, to Julian and some of Julian's friends who he meets in this book. And I really liked that side of the story as well, because Julian has this, um, group of friends who have all been you know, cast away by their family for various reasons. You know, he has a trans friend. Um, he has a friend who is like abused by his parents and like joined a gang and they've kind of uh, formed this band of, of, out, of outsiders. And Yadriel also looks at them and sees how lucky he is in a lot of ways too. Um, like he's poor, but you know, these kids really have, have nothing. And I, I again, that is something that, that could be a whole book, right? Like right, the yeah. story about this uh, group of kids, uh, but it's in there and it sh- serves as a nice mirror for Yadriel kind of examining his own experience and his relationship with people around him. I, I really like um, a lot of conversations don't like bring that nuance, but I really liked the nuance of the, there's a moment, I think towards the beginning when the grandma says something and Yadriel corrects her and she says, Oh yes, Yadriel. And she like says, she like, I think it's supposed to be, she dead named him. Yeah. And then she says, oh yes, you're my Yadriel. 
But then she says something like, but you'll always be my little girl. And it's like, you know that the grandma says it thinking it's sweet. But like, as a reader, we like, no, that's not sweet. But I, I like the nuance of anyone who's messing up. They're not necessarily the villain. It's like, they're just like older people who are messing up. Right. Right. Um, And while that's shitty for our character, I think that's an important nuance to have, especially in a queer story where it's like these older people just like don't quite get it and they they should and they need to, but they're like still getting there. And I think that's, I don't know. I really liked that nuance. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like malicious, but it still still hurts. Yeah. But I really liked how this book goes into um, that queer found family. Um, because that's that's so important, and you know, a lot of shows, it's like, oh, there's the the token gay friend, and really, that's right. not that's not a thing at all. Because I mean, it's like Julian says at one point, he's like, you know, queer folks are like wolves; we run in packs. You know, like you're not gonna, you know, like you're gonna have if you're queer, you're gonna have mostly yeah. queer friends because <laughs> you know nobody wants to hang out with a bunch of straight people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that was explored really beautifully here. And that um, I love Julian's role as kind of the protector of all of these other kids because he's so, he's so fierce and I just love him. And that's what I, we've obviously, this is Deidre's book. It's told from his perspective, but I do love Julian's journey in this book as well, because he has this reputation, right, of being a bad boy based on, as far as I can tell, just the fact that he's Colombian and his parents are kind of out of the picture and it he has a lot of internalized angst and issue with that too i know at one point at the end he starts going maligno like early because of this ritual that catrice has performed and so he they wonder why like some spirits linger for years before that happens to him and he thinks it's because like i obviously just have something within me that's like making me do this early but obviously that's not true. Like he has this whole family around him that he's taking care of. And, you know, he thinks that he, it's just better if he never goes to say goodbye to his brother who's raising him because he's just always been a problem. And I think at the end, he, he definitely realizes that he has way more value than that. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, I thought that Aiden did a really good job with Yadriel and Julian being so different, but it, them still making sense together. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so I, so uh, full disclosure, I read this for a book club. Um, and uh, my, so we only met for the, we like did the first half and then we're meeting actually later today for the rest oh, of Oh, great. What a fun <laughs> um, day for you. <laughs> so I'm talking about it twice today. Great. Uh, but we were saying that like, for me, like I felt like I would be more the, Yadriel and Julian is the type of guy that I would probably like Julian. I was like, Oh, I want them to kiss like the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think I was just making hard eyes at the page every time yeah. because yeah. he is just so endearing. Yeah. He, he really is endearing and he's so, he, I think what you were saying before Ian was to like how they are different from each other. And it like really works really well. I like at one point, um, you know, they're looking at the yearbook to try to find yes. uh, the his friends, which find Julian's friends. And uh, yeah, Drill is like totally not chill. But he's like, oh, like, is that your girlfriend? And Julian's like, no. And he says something like, oh, like, is that not your type? And he's like, well, no, I'm gay. But and Yadriel is like so impressed with how he says that because he says it 
he says that Julian says it almost as a challenge in a way that he didn't care what you thought. And yeah. that's so the opposite of how Yadro feels about himself and, and yeah. how his own confidence on it. Um, and so, yeah, that's what one of the things. Yeah, totally. I totally agree that like my heart eyes for Julian, like just growing every time he like spoke in this book because he is so confident in a lot of ways that's that are really appealing. And I actually thought you were going to mention, um, that was one of my like scenes that I love when Adriel gets upset because Julian's flipping through the yearbook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want him to see like an old picture of him. And then he goes back and he sees that Julian actually had like written Yadrael's name, like over his dead name. And I thought that was like, so I like immediately texted Corinne when I read that. And I was like, <laughs> Hey, he crossed out his dead name and wrote his real name. I was like losing my shit. Cause it's a very sweet moment at the same time though. I'm kind of like, you know, Yadriel didn't want you to go look that up. Like, you know, <laughs> you you saw his dead name. That's, you know, he probably didn't want you to. But yeah. at the end, Yadriel is so like enamored with that. That's so am I. If Yadriel's okay with it, I'm okay with yeah. it. Let's do it. I think it was a very sweet moment. And yeah, yeah. I think it was the first, the first moment that made me like immediately text Corinne and be like, ah! <laughs> yeah. So I will say, yeah, I was worried that which like, you know, they're teens. So I was like, okay, is it just like Julian's being like kind of shitty and curious? Mm-hmm. And that's why he's slipping yeah. through. And like, maybe that would be developed or whatever. Cause like, like I said, they are teens. So I'd be a little bit more forgiving if it was like, right. maybe they had a fight and then they get over it where it's like, oh, don't do that. But I like that it was, he was doing it to write. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. yeah, that was definitely really cute. <laughs> yeah, because you could you could see like how upsetting it was to Yadriel to to be kind of forever in print with this yeah. dead name, you know, like and how distressing that was for him. So I think it was yeah. like, just a really, really sweet move. Yeah. And I do like what came up too in that discussion too. You hear from Yadriel talking about how like his name is not his 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 correct name in the yearbook because the school would not put anything right. in that wasn't his legal name. And then also but talking about how like that um costs money. You have to like go right, through yeah. his name legal name change process. And it I haven't read previously a book where like I feel like the books that I've read previously with like a trans protagonist, it's someone who has um transitioned and maybe had top surgery or has gone through hormone therapy or legally changed their name and things like that. So it was interesting to see um Yadriel um not have gone through those experiences yet yeah. and how it's even it's a, an additional layer of difficulty when you you can't take those initial steps. And so that's, I think, a good example of like how it's kind of subtly like woven into the narrative. Like you're not, he's not talking about these openly, but it kind of triggers, oh, wow, I like didn't even think that yeah. this is something. That yeah, I, I, I like, I appreciated the like, the honesty in that where it's like Yadrell like had already come out and like knew who he was, but like they just couldn't afford it. And I feel like that, like you said, that's like a real thing that we don't often get in a lot of trans stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, yeah, I hadn't remembered reading something like that, but it made sense immediately when that was like the reason why. It was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because it probably does cost money and like, you know, all this shit. Absolutely. Uh, and so I liked like here, just even reading that was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it just makes you think about all the like all the barriers and, and class barriers that yeah. are in place when you're just trying to be your authentic self. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was all like just very definitely done. And I think that kind of ties into talking about Tio Catrice and the whole like, being outsiders and how that ultimately manifests itself in this book, because ultimately, so I talked about this in the summary, but as a little more detail, like 
Yadriel's uncle, who's older than Yadriel's father, who is the head of the, the Bruhex community now. Traditionally, Tio Catrice should have taken the mantle. Um, it should have been passed down to him, but he does not have power. He does not have the magic of a brujo. So he and Yadriel are, are both treated as outsiders in the community for different reasons. And throughout the book, Yadriel thinks that he has this like kind of kindred spirit that he can relate to on this issue. And he thinks that Tio Catrice is like his biggest advocate because they're both outsiders. And then it's, it's so hard at the end because Catrice says that's not really what he was. His main goal was not like helping Andrea was to help himself in performing this, this ritual to amass great power um, and I don't know what you guys thought of, about that. I mean, it's definitely like, okay, if you, it's an, a lesson, if you ostracize someone too much, you can push them to this extreme. Um, and it is an extreme. And so I, I liked how, how that was done. It was like hard to read, but at the same time, it was like kind of extreme. Like, I don't necessarily love the, I guess there's, obviously there's a parallel, parallel to Yadriel. I don't necessarily love the idea then like, okay, if, if Yadriel is like Catrice, like he could be pushed to this too, just because he's trans, like, and he's different. I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought about that. Like, I, I yes, obviously there's extremes to bullying and you don't, you in, in ostracizing someone that you, you don't want to have it ever get to that point. But I don't know what you guys ultimately like felt about it. Um, I mean, so <laughs> I will say, uh, I, I like, and I don't say this as like a cute joke. I do have ADD. So sometimes my ADD brain gets the best of me. Okay. And the moment when the ghost uncle attacks mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. because he was calling him Tito, I like in my head, I'm like, oh, that's uncle. <gasps> no, this is the uncle that loves him. And I was like, in my brain thinking like, why does he have garden shears? And I was like, oh no, this is like <laughs> the ghost. uncle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but after that scene, I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, I bet the good uncle is bad. And then he was. Okay, yeah, like, so I was totally going to ask you how early you called that because <laughs> I called it pretty early too. And I messaged her and I was like, it was like the middle of the night. So she was asleep. But I was just like, <laughs> that, like to the group chat, sending all these like conspiracy theories about Yoka trees. And I was like, but yeah, I think it was the first time was like when he covered for Yadriel. And I was like, this feels like he's covering more for himself. Yeah. And you know, Yadriel just happens to get lumped in there. I will say though, I like, again, I, I like that there was a lot of nuance here. I like that the uncle, and I will, I still stand by this, that the uncle, even though he was plotting and like killing all these kids, he wasn't like transphobic. And I liked the idea Great of like, point. oh, this villain isn't. And like everyone else had more of a problem accepting Yadriel than the uncle did, even though the uncle was the villain. Um, mm-hmm. And I like That's a really good point. Yeah. I just really like that because you know, I mean, he was doing evil, but he wasn't. He genuinely did think Yadriel deserved power and whatever, right? Like that yeah. was still there at the end. He even said it. Um, he kept saying, you know, like us, um, and he definitely still felt a kinship with his nephew, even though he was like plotting to kill all these people and like right. trying to never misgendered him, never yeah. dead named yeah. him, you know. And I, I was worried that at the end, once he came out as the villain, I was like, oh, is now he gonna like misgender him and like be shitty? But he still wasn't. He was still like, yeah, yeah no, it's true. us versus them. Like, yeah. And I, I like that, you know. Um, <laughs> bringing you back to Buffy again. Uh, when, <laughs> when, uh, we interviewed Claire Kramer, who played Glory, who was my favorite bad guy on Buffy. Love her so much. She's, I know, right? She's so great. Uh, she even said that it was really important when Glory attacked Tara that 
that even though she was being flirty, that she wasn't being homophobic, like, cause Glory yeah. wouldn't be. Um, and I hadn't thought about that until Claire said that. And she said that was really a really important point to her that it wasn't, she's attacking Tara because it's like, she's going to be homophobic about it. Like that, that had nothing to, she, Glory truly didn't care. She only cared about yeah. herself. Right. So she's not mm. doing it for any other reason than her own. Um, and I, I always think about that with villains now, ever since Claire said that to us, like, oh, I, I like a villain that's like, you kind of, they don't need to have like a total super villain, like turn. It's just like, they're also doing this evil thing, but like, they're still cool in this yeah. aspect. Yeah, that's true. And they have, yeah. they have good reason. Like it, yeah. it, it comes about from that. Place, yeah. yeah. We've talked about that before on this podcast about how, like what really makes a good villain is you, you know, they need to be, really well motivated and i mean the cartoonish villains are you know they can be fun but they're right. not they're not the ones that are really going to stand out they're not the ones yeah. that make great villains because uh you know there's they need to still be kind of people you know yeah. you need to understand them on a, on a, on that level yeah. and if they're just cartoonish and just dastardly and evil about you know everything it's right. just yeah. it's not it's not like rooted in yeah. reality and, and I think we would have been less sympathetic with the uncle. Like we would have felt less guilty about Yadriel having to like, you know, send his uncle to this demon, like yeah, him him. yeah. Yeah. If he had become like this like transphobic, shitty. Yeah. Like that would have been too easy. Yeah. Right. right. Like I wouldn't have liked if it were too easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that those are all like really good points. And I we it's Tajan actually just before you hopped on, and we were chatting about like a book in which like the uh, villain of the, it's a historical romance, but the villain of the book is is being set up to be this uh, gay character who is the villain because the the male male love interest has thwarted him. And so we're like, oh really in twenty yeah, twenty <laughs> we're reading these types of stories. And so that's why I think ultimately I do really like how this is done here because it's for all those reasons, Catrice is like a, a sympathetic villain, I guess, yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways. Um but it is a good it is a good comparison point to Yadriel of how like this type of ostracization is is bad and i i do like how that all works out that's a i think the one thing i would if i could have more of this book if i could have an epilogue i would like a little bit more of yeah dealing with the fact that he he did right, not yeah. kill his uncle but like right he was definitely part and parcel with the like there would be even even if it's not like like you did you he did the right thing but like it would still be trauma right. related to that right yeah of course well, one of the things too, um, I read in uh, this interview again that Aiden did with NPR, and they were talking about, uh, you know, obviously how great this book is, and in terms of the trans identity and how it's discussed in this book, but then also the limitations still within this community of highly okay, gendered roles. Correct. Yeah. So um, I will just read the quote, I guess, because the question that he or that they got was very interesting. It said. Um, it seemed to me like a very gendered magic system. How do non-binary and agender people fit into the Bruhex community? And Aiden answered and said, this is such a great question. I really wanted to explore and discuss how different gender identities would manifest within the Bruhex, but I simply didn't have the time slash space for it. Julian and Yadriel have a conversation where Yadriel says he's the first transgender Bruhex to exist. And Julian tells him there's no way. It touches on the erased history of trans folks and how just because Yadriel didn't know of any doesn't mean they didn't exist. As far as how non-binary and agender bruhex fit in they definitely have a very specific both rare and powerful magic but right now that's all i can say so 
I'm hopeful that like we get more from Aiden, like maybe another book. I wonder if it would be the same Brooks community in which we could get a glimpse of Yadriel and doing how they're doing after this. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Like, uh, do we think it's going to be maybe like a direct sequel or I kind of want it to be more of a spinoff and focus on some other people, but, you know, obviously with some background, Yadriel and Julian and stuff and, and Julian dealing with the fallout of everything that happened. I mean, not Julian, sorry, Yadriel. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I, I don't maybe. Yeah, I hadn't heard any in the... Uh, Aiden's very coy in that response, I think. Yeah. So uh, that would be great. I would love more about it. And I guess I could see if maybe it's like a different Bruhex community, like elsewhere, because this is in LA. So obviously, and they talk about the fact that there's different communities throughout the United States. Like you don't have to be buried in that specific cemetery in LA to come back. So like maybe there's some way to like tie it all in. Um, hopefully this book did well enough that Aiden gets the chance to tell I mean, I, I think it was on the bestseller list. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think it yeah. is doing it is doing really well. I think I saw something that's now being reprinted, like with the New York Times bestseller nice. uh, stuff on the cover. So that's really uh, exciting. I will say, um, which like this is just me. So most of the Puerto Ricans in my family, I live in Jersey, mm-hmm. live in Northern Jersey, right outside of New York. Okay. I kept picturing the setting as very much North Jersey. And every time they'd be like, oh, in the beautiful sun, I'd be like, oh, right. This is LA. This is not actually New Jersey. <laughs> Just New Jersey does not have the like beautiful scenery that they yeah. often had. Um, but in North Jersey, there are a lot of cemeteries and there are a lot of Hispanic, uh, a lot of different Hispanic communities. Mm-hmm. Like I know in my family, when my mom and her family moved from Puerto Rico, they moved in with like family friends and like everyone spoke Spanish in their mm-hmm. like neighborhood. Uh so I kept picturing that. Um, and I it's funny that like you said, like the different communities, because so and I said this on a podcast earlier this week. When my grandma Ponchi was in hospice care and I got mm-hmm. dumped, oh, no. she grabbed my hand and went like after we like had the talk, it was very serious. She went, Go see a Santero, they'll put a curse on him, but only go to New York <laughs> because the real ones aren't in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, and she was like completely serious, like. Oh, that's, that's so did you do it <laughs> I, did not, I should have but i did <laughs> i love that's a good i love a i love a, a grandma who is an unabashed stan of their grandchild yeah. it sounds like <laughs> we love to see it <laughs> uh that's great which i think in this book the grandma could get there yeah um, yeah she she's on her way but that's a great story. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there any other like big stuff in terms of like the main themes of the book that we want to discuss? The only other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and again, it's kind of just thrown in there, and it's that Maritza is his Yadriel's cousin uh, is a bruja who they heal people, and they have to use animal blood to do that. And she is a vegan, and I really liked how how her story kind of played out, and that she was very strong in her convictions that she just was not going to heal people because she didn't believe in that. So I just like that that was, again, it's something that that could be a, a whole book. Like we could have a book focused on Maritza. Uh, but I thought that that was good. And then she ends up kind of saving the day without having to use animal blood. She kind of like proves them all wrong. Um, yes. So I, was just like, I will say, I thought that that would be a bigger deal. Like I thought it was going to be that she was also very special because she was able to do it without the animal blood. And I was kind of surprised that it was like, you know, I mean, when his father is giving the speech, he does say Anne Marie, he does include her, but it's mm-hmm. not. But I was like, mm, shouldn't that be a bigger deal? Because it feels like it should be. That's another really good, maybe that's a good be point. A yeah. Maybe, maybe. We'll- and I really liked her. I loved her character. Yeah. I thought she played the like very 
like sassy and supportive best friend this queer person and i mm-hmm. really i don't know i i like i feel like i often especially when i was younger i would be drawn to folks that were like very confident in who they were and also still supportive like and they didn't take shit yeah. um like that's definitely the type of friend i'm still as an adult drawn to uh mm-hmm. you know like i feel like anytime i'm at work i'm always drawn to the person that's more like that um, and I, I don't know, I thought she was very well done from the opening. Like she was a very fully realized character. Yeah. I really liked how she took it upon herself to correct people yeah. uh, when they misgendered or dead named Yadriel because, you know, took some of that burden off of him because got exhausting to have to yeah. constantly correct your family like that. And I liked that she kind of took up that, that mantle a lot for him. Yeah, she was a really good character. I do agree. Yeah, me, I do wish that had kind of played out a little more. And I, I guess I thought it was going to be maybe that she, like they make a big deal about how you can't use your own blood for these sacrifices because it's like too powerful. Yeah. So like when you do your quince ceremony, you just take like a little bit of blood from your tongue, but like you can't use human blood any more than that because it will be way too powerful. So I thought it was going to be that she used her her own blood but was able to harness it in a way that was safer than like what the other brujas were able to do um but it seemed to me i think that like she just used the blood that had been like spilled in this like melee at the end of of the book um so maybe there's something more there that um aiden can dive into in a sequel going forward i guess that would be i'd be interested in that too yeah any other big big topics before we get into like some superlatives here about our favorite stuff from this book. I This is so stupid, but I always think of <laughs> no, this. Stupid. Um, so because Julian is like a ghost and he like could walk through wherever. And mm-hmm. so two things I always, they're always like, I always think of when there's like any storyline and, you know, cause I read a lot of stuff like this where it's like supernatural based in reality. I always think about going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, I would be so self-conscious if like this ghost boy I had a crush on was like kind of attached to me. And I'm like, mm, I got really bad. Please don't walk through the door. Like, Can you like, stay yeah. outside, please? <laughs> yeah. I always think about that. Um, and then two, this is just like, this is also the other thing I always think about with ghosts because they, and they do make a point to point out that like Julian can't pick up things, but sometimes he can if he's like really upset, like when he smashes mm-hmm. a skateboard. Yeah. I have the need like, oh, but then how does he sit down on things? <laughs> like, yeah. The- I always think about that too. I'm like, how are you walking on the ground? Yeah. Like you don't have any substance to or you. Or he like is listening to Yadriel's iPod. I was like, how are you pressing the buttons yes. to like, yeah, I, I agree. Those are all very interesting issues. I do like too, there was a lot of hijinks in terms of like trying to sneak um, Julian in and out of the house because all the Brex community can see spirits. Right, so yeah. they have to keep him obscure. And at one point he's like, I'll just jump out the window. And they're like, no, you cannot jump out the window. <laughs> it's like, he's like, what? I'm already done. Like what difference does it? And I kind of was like, well, yeah, I mean, right. He I, did. I was <laughs> like, he's got a yeah. point. <laughs> that was speaking in the bathroom though. That was a really nice moment where they go to school and Yadriel's like, I've never used the boys room. Oh my God. I don't know how I totally forgot. That, but and yes, I can't believe yes, we didn't that's talk about such that. a great moment. <laughs> yeah. And then Julian's like, do it now. Like, why not? But then Yadriel's like, don't come in with me. And he's like, why? Yeah. Like, which, he's like, I have, a, I have a nervous bladder. Like, I can't pee with him. <laughs> <laughs> so it does kind of come up. But yeah, so Julian's like totally supportive of of him doing that at, at that point. Um, and I think it's funny too, because Yadriel says something like, oh gosh, is this what the boys' bathrooms are like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I liked that as well. I think that's a good segue to kind of talk into like one of our superlative categories we always like to talk about is our like favorite swoon-worthy moments in the book. And there's just a lot here. Julian does a lot of great things that make my heart just go pitter-patter. We talked about uh, the yearbook moment. We talked about this bathroom moment. Uh, Ian, do you have like another favorite moment? Uh, So it's kind of also my favorite quote. So it's going to be a little too Great. But at the end, when um, Julian wants to go see Adriel and they're like, oh, your friend will be fine. He's like, he's not my friend. He's my Gerido. And I was like, <gasps> love it. Yeah, that was mine too. I love it. I think Beautiful. I like, I think I closed the book when that happened. and I just hugged it for a second because I was like, <laughs> I had to yeah. like stop because I was reading it on break at work. When I read that part, I was like, okay, I need to wipe my eyes. I can't like cry <laughs> in the break room at work. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really, because that whole scene is so fraught and he is just like freaking out because yeah. yeah is dead and it is i love when someone just like it's so hard to see but that's when you know it's like really true and someone's like losing their shit about maybe losing this person and oh yeah no it's it's beautifully well done and again it's in spanish which is you know we talked about this a little bit before but julian does speak spanish he's kind of defensive about it he brings it up first and you know because yadriel translates something from he's like yeah i do speak spanish i just choose not to and it comes out that his dad who had died they spoke Spanish at home. So he felt like it was a very intimate thing between um, his family. And so he doesn't like to, to speak in Spanish to a lot of people, but then my favorite soon more the moment is they decide that they're going to release him on the last day of Dia de Muertos and they like have a whole um, it's fun day to do whatever Julian wants to do. And then he, he asked Yadriel if he could kiss him in Spanish. And that was the first time he spoke Spanish in the whole book. And I was just like, Oh, I am. <laughs> <that one. laughs> it was so good. Um, and then Every time he uses Spanish then in the rest of the book is just very intentional and very specific to his feelings to Yadriel. Like when he, when Yadriel finds Julian, like he's still hanging, clinging to life as part of the sacrifice. He finds his body and his spirit is just lingering and is almost being like sucked into this amulet for this ritual that the uncle is doing. And everything Julian says to Yadriel at that point is in Spanish. Like, he's just like, you know, it's, it's all good. Like, you know, I'm yeah. fine, you know, and, but it's all in Spanish. And I like love that because it, I love a secret like language or connection <laughs> between. Yeah. It shows their, how deep their connection is right. with each other. Yeah. And it's I also, thing. I like love a nickname. Like Tasia knows this about me. Anytime there's <laughs> like, I read a romance and there's like a great nickname between characters. I love it. But I just love here immediately. Like Julian just takes it upon himself to start calling Adriel Yads. Like yeah. from the beginning, love a nickname. So he's yeah. he's just a good a good boy. <laughs> I really <laughs> such liked, a good boy. Agreed. I really liked him a lot. So I guess yeah, we uh, Ian, you already said your favorite quote. That is such a good one. Um, I had a couple of them. Like at one point, Julian just says to Yatra, like you don't need anyone's permission to be you, Yads, which like that is great. Could be like the thesis statement of the book. <laughs> Um, and then like, oh, yeah, this is a romance. That's a big part of this book. There are just great moments of, of that throughout the book, in particular, the whole thing about like Julian being a ghost and they can't touch. Uh, but like at one point, like you can tell like the tension simmering 
uh, between them. And Yadriel thinks like he wanted to touch Julian's hands, ghosting over his skin, wondered what Julian's short hair would feel like under his fingertips, what his skin would smell like, or if his lips felt as soft as they looked. But it was silly and stupid because he couldn't touch dead boys and they couldn't touch you back. Love, love of paranormal romance. (laughs) Paranormal romance is what I was looking for. (laughs) And then I just had this quote too from Julian, who's just like, he's such a, like a smart ass throughout a lot of the book, but he says at one point, like, I think I would have made a good brujo. I'm into the whole portage aesthetic, which is like, <laughs> or Yadriel has a dagger. Like that's yeah. his, what he uses to like wield his magic. Uh, so I liked that too. And then Tasia, did you have? Yeah. Mine was um, when they go to, to check on Julian's friends and uh, Yadriel sees that, Julian has spray painted something underneath the bridge and uh, translated to English. It's basically um, there are girls with penises, boys with vaginas and transphobes without teeth. <laughs> I was like, that is just so just succinctly Julian. I love it. Yeah. I also love that Julian is like a low key, like sensitive artist on the side. Like he does all these great yeah. murals. Uh, we love a soft bad boy, which I think turns in then to our favorite character and character arc. Do we all have the same favorite character? <laughs> Is it Julianne? <laughs> I will say I uh, honorable mention to Maritza because I did love her too. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, Julian's just, yeah. just great. Just he's so endearing and he's, I do love, I mean, maybe my favorite like character trope is, is like the soft bad boy. Uh, it's same. just, it's, so much. I lo- I really love it. Um, I feel like he's the personification of that, like, I'll kick anyone's ass meme. He's like, I'll kick anyone's ass. I'll kick your ass. I'll kick your dog's ass. I'll kick my own ass. Like, <laughs> I just feel like that's Julian all over. Yeah. I felt like and this is such a, like, weird comparison because I don't love this series, but it was like, I was like, oh, this is what, like, something Twilight Wish It Was. Like, Twilight, like... <laughs> Because I, I did read the first book. I read. Yeah. <laughs> We've watched, I've read them all in Tasia and I watched all the movies We recently had a Twilight marathon. So like, there's no judgment just, here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kept thinking that because I remember reading Twilight. I remember reading the first one and it's like, you know, they don't even kiss for like 300 pages, but That's you feel rude. like you need a cigarette after they kiss. <laughs> and I kept thinking like, oh, this is doing that like a like a better version of that because it's like they can't actually kiss because he's a ghost. So it's like, okay, there's a reason why they can't like touch um, and not because they're written by a Mormon. Um, and yeah. Like, <laughs> it's such a good way of like ratcheting up tension. Yes. Yeah. It's us. Uh, I love it. Yeah. 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 I, I just thought that was like such a, like, you know, like you said, when Julian says in Spanish, like, can I kiss you? I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Please yeah. kiss. Yes. I, just... yeah. I think I had do, to like restart my heart afterwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are able to, which I like. Yeah. It's, it's really good. But then they kiss a lot of fun too when Julian's in his corporeal form. So it's very exciting. Um, and then I guess related to that is the idea of someone's like the best arc in the story in terms of character development. And obviously, Yadriel's is great in terms of uh, he already had accepted himself, but accepting that he doesn't need ex- that same external val- validation. He gets it, which is great. Yeah. Um, I also really liked Julian's arc too, because he, I think learns to, at the end to accept the soft side of himself and not like put up this front and not like what, let what other people in their school think about him really matter, which is again, yeah. why I would like a, um, an epilogue, like when they're back at school and like, see how these two are doing. But, yeah. I thought that was really good too. It's a good book, guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> I really liked Agreed. it a lot. And I do <laughs> hope we get more of it, uh, more of this world from Agent. And I'm, cause this was a debut. Novel. Yeah. 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 I really look forward to seeing uh, what they write going forward because this was really, really good. It definitely, I, I feel like there's several books in the last couple of months. I've been like, this is my favorite of the year, but this is definitely within the top three of things I think I've read this year. You I know, really that's funny. I was thinking the same thing. Cause I was like, Oh, I really love this. And I was like, well, I've actually read a lot of things. I really like, I feel like last year I didn't read a lot of things I love, but this yeah. year I've been like pretty, like the books I've read, I've like pretty much loved almost all of them, which is a nice, that's a nice, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it is. It is really good. And there's just been a lot of good, like new releases this year too that have mm. been like stunningly good. Um, but yeah, this one definitely tops the list for sure. Uh, and it's just perfect for spooky season and a perfect ending timer. I'll read this again and again because it was it was really good. So, well, I think with that, I think we're ready to wrap up quickly before we go. Tasia, do you want to announce what our next book is? Yes. Yeah, so next week we are going to be covering the Scorpio races by Maggie Steve Otter, which is another good, um, maybe not spooky season specifically, but fall season. Yeah. Okay. Um, ma- we're gonna magic have, horses. It's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, like like a uh, water horses from yeah. Celtic mythology. It's really yeah. cool. Um, and we're gonna have another special guest with us. Uh, but before we go, Ian, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We loved having you. This is a great conversation. Before we log off here, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet, online? And you talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but Twitter, Instagram, anything you'd like to plug? Yeah. Um, if you want to find me on social, I am at Ian X Carlos on all platforms. Um, and my podcast, SlayerFest98, is at SlayerFestX98 on social. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other places you get podcasts. Great. Tasia, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast at Act Ya Age on Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email at actyaagepod at gmail.com. And again, if you would like to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you podcast, we would very much appreciate that. Um, again, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. We you had so uh, a very so fun time. time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.